Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's no question that families are under attack. Our Lady of Fatima warned us that that would be the case. But have families suffered so much as they have in 2020 and so far in 2021? Today we're going to have a podcast with a special guest who's experienced in keeping a, a strong marriage with 14 children. Jeff Kasman joins us on the backside of the intro music. Let's get started. Living the Faith Podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media, restoringfaith.com. Jeff Kassman, father of 14, joining us live for Living the Faith. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for uh, not only suggesting this topic, but uh, but joining us this is going to be an interactive uh, with two of the two of us, but we're live streaming on YouTube as well, so we will take questions from the live audience. 2020 was not so fun, right? <laughs> Rough year, and uh, you know, I think we all hoped that 2021 would be a, would be a better year, maybe a little reprieve. But as we all know, January started out with a bang, and. Uh, We've gone from masking to double and triple masking, and mm. uh, you know now it's uh, COVID anal swabs. So yeah, we're we're not off to a very good start. <laughs> yeah, from uh, from the horn guy in the so-called temple of democracy uh, on January sixth, uh, we really started the year off with some weirdness. Um, you've noted in uh, in some of our talking just about this topic that uh, you know, marriage is under attack. Divorce, not getting any more rare, right? Um, it's 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 one of those things that it actually takes work to keep together, and it always has, right? I mean, that's – but is it harder now? Oh, I, absolutely, I think so. Uh, and, you know, to make matters worse, I, I think that the, the divorce numbers are deceiving because I'm, I'm being told by experts that a lot of young people, millennials and Zoomers – uh, are not even bothering to get divorced. 
they just separate because they say to themselves, what, what does it matter? Why, why should I pay the fee? Why should I go with it? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's actually a, a worse situation than, than we know. Um, you know, I actually looked this up and we have the lowest marriage rate in the United States, uh, I think on record, uh, just for, to put numbers behind that for every 1000 unmarried adults in 2019, only 33 got married a decade ago. That was 35, but in, uh, it was in 1970, it was 86 out of a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so marriage rates have plummeted. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the stats behind that are, are, are well understood, right? Uh, men are not wanting to, to marry women. They, they now have tender and they've got porn and, uh, and surely some of them let's hope are virtuous. And they say, gosh, it's hard to find a, a decent woman. Mm-hmm. And, and of course on the flip side, the, the women are looking at, at, at a lot of these young men and, and all they want to do is play video games and, and, and smoke and, and drink and, you know, party and so forth. And, and probably, Many men have have had that experience at some point in their lives, but but yeah, the, the culture as it as it races towards a, a post Christian, post Protestantism, post civilized world, uh, it's yeah. only going to get worse, in my opinion. And and I think, as our hopes have been dashed for this year, uh, as it regards you know things looking up, uh, I, I think we can all recognize that that the family is under attack, and that starts with marriage. Even saying something, Jeff, like uh, like opposing video games, and saying grown men shouldn't sit around, lounge around in their pajamas, play video games, you know, uh, while ordering in pizza and beer, and and you know, Netflix and chill is not an actual activity. Right. Uh, even just saying that is controversial, even in traditionalist circles, though, right? I mean, I catch flack for it all the time. Yeah, I, I've I've been excoriated when I have have uh, said that, you know, grown men, especially fathers, should not be playing video games. Now, I've played video games with my kids, uh, you know, on occasion. But, you know, I, I think what, what we're talking about here is we're talking about that 20 or 30-something, God forbid, 40-something man who's married and has responsibilities, and and he's playing video games. And, mm-hmm. and the response is always, well, you know, leisure and this kind of thing. Well, you know, there's there's authentic leisure, and, and then there is just sloth and uh you know take your kids out you know to the to the gym take your kids to the ballpark take your kids somewhere read Uh, i I think we can all agree that that the activity of reading as an example is a superior one than than playing video games right Uh, when we talk about the intellect and the will and 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 the development of virtue so well, and and you know this as well. I mean, eutropalia is a virtue, and it is rightly ordered recreation, which video games is not rightly ordered. It orients you towards a false reality, not an actual reality, a digital reality, not physical reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, in addition to in addition to divorce, it's not like you know people are having happy marriages who are not getting divorced. You've got uh, it seems like domestic violence is through the roof. In the UK, they did a study during the lockdowns that the calls to for help for domestic violence went through the floors and the interpretation of that data point was well everyone's staying home and the people who are being abused are by are next to their abusers and they're not able to make the phone call you know so it's like we we sort of know even by proxy that during the lockdowns um confining people together who used to be apart for work and and leisure and whatever else um that has put a strain on marriage. Yeah, we, we know, uh, you know, looking at another metric that that um, 
the people showing up in the emergency rooms, uh, wives that have been battered, uh, children that have suffered severe abuse. We know that those numbers are, are dramatically up uh, year to year. Mm-hmm. And we know that just people who are not either being beaten or beating others, we know that they are suffering too because the, the calls to the suicide lines and, and uh, you know, people, uh, simple things like that we can even, uh, the public can track. If you go to the Google Trends um, feature, you can look for, for people that are searching for things like depression and how do I know if I'm depressed and uh, natural treatments for depression, right? They can't go see their doc and get, get, get pills. They're trying mm-hmm. to self-medicate. Um, alcohol abuse way up what we we can track that also by just looking at the revenue numbers for uh, local liquor stores and uh, brewers and so forth so people are trying to treat a problem they're unable to cope they lack the the mechanism to cope they they lack the know-how to to cope and, and and worse even than taking it out on your wife some people are taking it out on the children and you see yeah. that as well in the spike in child abuse cases severe uh, spike in, in child abuse cases. And, and this is layered on top of something else that, that is uh, deeply uh, concerning. I, I was talking with a friend in Louisville who knows what's going on inside the, the Louisville public school system. And even though their schools are all shut down, they started restarted their school lunch program because they found out a lot of these children were not eating. They're at home. The parents are accustomed to having them in the schools and being fed by the schools. They stopped going to school. They stopped eating. How oh sad my. is that? So, oh they, so they started uh, offering, you know, pickup for lunches, you know, come to school and, and pick up the lunch. Well, guess what? That didn't work very well because the parent who doesn't feed their kid at home isn't going to get in the car and drive to school or they're at work. They can't go pick it up. So the school is now the school system in Louisville is now running the buses on their normal routes, delivering food to those homes. And they found out it was more efficient to deliver food to every single home than to try and identify uh, who was truly malnourished. It's a horrific situation. And this is just, we're just talking about the material aspect of this. Yeah. We're not talking about the, you know, the deeper, more important stuff. So it's a horrifying situation. Uh, And and to your point, though, what you've alluded to is people would typically seek to take refuge, spiritual refuge, in the houses of God, which have been closed. I mean, <laughs> for, for many reasons. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it's just shocking to think about how the church, for the most part, and we all know that there are a few, very few exceptions, um, but the church has, has responded in a cowardly way to, to the crisis, the health crisis, regardless of what you, you think about it. And I'm a COVID survivor, so I can, I think, talk about that. Um, it's, it's cowardly. And, uh, you know, people, I think, what was it Bellarmine that, that shut down his, his diocese during the, during the Black Plague? Uh, I, I think, uh, it, was, I think uh, it was Barameo. Barameo. Uh, Barameo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Barameo shut down his diocese. That's what they all say. Oh, he shut it down. He told everybody to stay in their homes. But then he and his priests went door to door delivering the sacrament, you know? Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, they offered the holy sacrifice on the street corners. They, they had more sacraments, not less. <laughs> they, they got creative. They even used these golden um, tweezers to handle our, you know, the blessed sacrament because you know, only a priest can touch our Lord or, you know, an instrument of gold. So they would use gold to drop the sacrament into people's mouths so that the priest wasn't. I mean, they were much more creative than we are today. Today, we just said stay home. Yeah, and... Um... 
I, I think that speaks volumes for the health of, of, of the church. So, you know, we've got a lot of cowards, especially in the episcopate, and and mm-hmm. and there's confusion. You know, there's legitimate confusion by priests about how how they should respond to what what degree they owe their bishops uh, obedience. Right? We we know that it's a legitimate obligation. It's a virtue, one very highly prized. Um, you know, but they're they're confused. Most diocesan priests, and certainly most religious priests, have received a very poor formation since the council. Right, uh, and and those of us that are that are fond of tradition understand that that the difference between traditional Catholicism and the post conciliar uh, practice is not just the mass. It's not just the liturgy, the bells and the smells. It's not it's not Latin. There there's a whole level of formation and theological and philosophical foundation that's different uh, for traditional Catholics, different from what our our grandparents believed. And so we have priests that are, uh, you know, they're they're unarmed, frankly, uh, to deal with a change in, in the world. They're struggling already to to deal with just regular parish life and yeah. being lonely and not being supported by their their bishop and having hostile relationships with a lot of the the older priests, uh, the boomers that are still in charge. So right. they were already in a bad situation, and and now uh, things have just gotten worse for them. So they they're fearful of their bishops. They don't know what to do, um, and and so yeah, it's just a, a terrible situation. You know, Father Altman, uh, when he sort of blew up and he went on Taylor Marshall's show, and and you know he was saying that you can't be Catholic and vote for a Democrat. Um, he he said in in a couple of his videos that the number one thing that priests fear is their own bishops. They don't fear the angry mobs. They don't fear you know the the, the collecting of. You know, alt left. You know, uh, yeah. wearing Portland chic. You can call them whatever you want to. They're all commies, but they fear their bishops more than that. Yeah. I mean, how's that? What a sad commentary. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's a healthy fear, right? <laughs> you know, that's they 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 fear for orthodoxy. They fear of being sent to the reeducation uh, camp, and 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 we've seen that uh, all all around the country, right? It's not just the bishops that make headlines. Yeah. It's not just the bishops that that are notorious for that kind of thing. It happens, you know, day in day out in, in boring places. Um, oh yeah, no, I think it's standard operating procedure. Your note about obedience, though, Jeff, reminds me of this story. Uh, I I was unfortunately I was told about a priest who's one, with one of the major traditional orders uh, that is that has a vow of obedience to the local ordinary, who uh, for basically the entire all the way until the fall in twenty twenty. Was, would not uh, even offer uh, the sacrament of penance to uh, to penitents in private. He would go to their houses for dinner parties, and they would ask him, "Father, can I confess?" And he would say, "No, I out of obedience uh, to the bishop, I can't do that." I mean, what, what if that's not a formation problem or a moral conscious problem? Then I then it must be a problem in the intellect. I mean, I, I don't know where the problem would lie at that point. Yeah, don't don't we have a great example right from Scripture? Uh, if if the priest is uh, in persona Christi, if he's an altar Christus, uh, how does he not recognize that the higher obedience that he has to God, as our Lord demonstrated when the Pharisees told him, you know, who are you to forgive sins, right? Um, they, they, they don't know. Um, and, and, and they're fearful. Uh, I, I think, of course, it's it's fundamentally it's rooted 
in a a lack of love. There's there's a lack of love there uh, for the people they were ordained to serve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and you know I've I've had some nasty run-ins uh, on social media with with priests who, um, you know really manifest that they they don't understand that they serve the faithful that they're servants and that their ultimate obedience is is to Christ and mm-hmm. in grief our, our lord laid down his life for you know the worst sinner uh and these men won't risk even being scolded by their bishop to hear a confession or to offer last rites and 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 that's a that's a terrible situation so i you know i don't think we Neither you nor I want to belabor this point and beat up priests, but but uh, it's a bad situation, and the church has failed, and and mm-hmm. and so things start to as they unravel, uh, we get to the, the the bedrock of civilization, the foundation of any healthy society, and that's that's the family, and and there is no family without a marriage. Yeah, no, you're right. Just to give folks who are watching a roadmap, um, it sounds like all gloom and doom. We're identifying the problem. We're going to go a little bit deeper into the problem, and then we'll take a quick break. And on the backside of the break, we will discuss the solution to the problem. Happy, happy thoughts. But um, your contention, Jeff, is that uh, as bad as all that was, as bad as 2020 was, it's going to get worse. I mean, how scary is that? Yeah, you know the the, the consequences of 2020 are are catching up with us. You know the the health consequences, the the exhaustion of of people from wearing masks, uh, of, of being criticized, the exhaustion of of the political environment, and, and that uncertainty that lasted for so long. Uh, you know the economic costs of of everything that's happened, not just the trillions of dollars that the federal government is spending, but the lo- lost trillions of of earnings, and and there's a delayed reaction to that. You know, in in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so all of that is is right on the horizon, and that's just the beginning of it, right? We've got we've yeah. got new bad leadership. I think most of us can can recognize, and and th- this year seems to have its own unique challenges coming as well. Whether it's variants of of the Wuhan flu or whether it's it's new international uh, tensions we see both in the Middle East and and in the Far East, uh, you know things that are happening that that are not good. Uh, so it, it looks to me like it's going to get worse. And that's why I wanted to talk about this topic. Right. And I think for, for even, it, it, it's bad enough. Look, we're both veterans. We've both been in the Mideast. I don't want to go back there. You don't want to go back there. It's no coincidence that the Mideast is back in the news the moment the usurper in chief is in the White House. But the thing that most people care about, they don't really care about that. And I understand that most people really care about uh, can I afford groceries? You know, um, why is my purchasing power going down? Where are my Biden bucks? You know, people in a theoretical sense, Jeff, I know you have a financial background. They do sort of worry about deficit spending. They worry about printing money and quantitative easing and all of these things. Um, but you know, we've never really experienced hyperinflation. There's, uh, there are ways that you can prepare for it. And this, that's not the purpose of this show. But but this is just adding an additional layer of fear, I think, right, for a lot of families. And and the number one stressor, I, um, according to some studies on marriages, is financial stress. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, marriage is is difficult enough, right? In the best of times, you've got two sinners living together. And, uh, you know, Satan is, is going to work very hard to to upset that situation. Uh, and, and, and money is a frequent, you know, issue. If if you lack money, then the, the lack of that and the consequences that it, it, it has in your life brings about suffering and tension and oftentimes blame, uh, fairly or not. If, if you're well-to-do, that brings its own set of challenges. Uh, and, and so uh, that, that financial element, I think, can't be understated. And we can see uh, how right now people are, are screaming at the Biden administration, mm-hmm. where's, where's my $1,400? Yep. Um, and you know, people got money last year. I, I think they're going to get money again this year, most. And 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 that's part, of course, kind of a diabolical uh, setup too, because you you take from somebody what is rightfully theirs, that is their ability to earn a living. You remove that, and then you get them hooked on federal money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know what the consequence of dependency is. That's what largely what has happened to the black community in the United States yep. before the New Deal and, and before uh, LBJ's war on poverty. Uh, black Americans were rapidly catching up to white America and their families were together and their uh, mm-hmm. standards of living were rising rapidly. And as soon as they uh, introduced a, kind of a welfare entitlement mentality, Things went off the rails, and we don't want to go. Uh, we don't want to go off the rails either. Uh, we'll never get to our our, our important topics. The, the three ways we can put make twenty twenty one the best year ever for your marriage. But certainly, we have a lot in history that we can learn and apply to this situation. Even though it feels new, even though the 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 tactics are are new, there's we know what's what's happening. Yeah, and uh, Sean in the live chat agrees with everything you just said. He said, I am forced at age 62 to take my Social Security because here in Michigan, electric, propane, gas, food are all up. Final point before we sort of hit the um, hit the break button for a second. Our Lord permits all of these things to happen. Uh, everything happens either with uh, Almighty God's permissive will or His active will. It's and since our you know since God doesn't doesn't per, will uh, evil actively, all of these evil things are happening with His permissive will, and He's allowing all these things to happen to us, right, Jeff? I mean, there's and there's got to be a reason for it. Absolutely, uh, we know that all all suffering in the in the world is the result of sin, original sin, and, and our own ongoing sin. Uh, and and so, if anybody ever doubts that what's happening to us, to our country, to our families, to the world. Whether or not it's a chastisement, well, of course it is. We we know that day fide, uh, and and we can look back at at the history of of the Jews even and see how uh, like like a father who desperately loves his child but cannot forcibly control him. We we know that our Lord permits the suffering, whether it's the prodigal son mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, the suffering of of the Jews in mass with the, the slavery in Babylon and, and all of the other things that they suffered, we know that our Lord permits this uh, in hopes that we will uh, return to him and return to the faith. And and so, you know, it's frightening to be here in this point in time, uh, you and I as, as Americans, to have been born in, in arguably the greatest country in the world. And I don't mean the greatest government and that kind of uh, strange exceptionalism. I mean, Look at our natural resources. Look at the oceans that protect us. Look at our weak neighbors uh, in every direction. 
mm-hmm. no country probably ever has been as as blessed uh, as ours has been and and all that we've been given uh, even the the freedom that we're free to abuse and to see how we have abused that and and how we've wasted it and and how uh, uh, we've not been grateful for that our country is going you know it seems the way of, of Babylon and and Rome and and probably faster and in a more horrific way uh, all the more reason for us to look to the foundations and secure them uh, as quickly as we can. Jeff Kasman joining us to discuss marriage. We spent 20 minutes or so identifying all of the problems and the headwinds that we face as married men and women. When we come back, we're going to have three very specific things that we can all employ, especially this Lent, to underwrite and strengthen the institution of marriage. All right, shameless self-promotion and uh, uh, profit segment aside, you put down three things that you wanted to talk about, Jeff, in terms of how, how do we how do we fix it? And the first one that you listed is to put Christ first. I mean, that sounds pretty like duh, but what do you mean by that? Yeah, that does sound pretty basic, doesn't it? But but sometimes we have to go back to the the basics and. Um, where I think it's really relevant right now, probably for many of your viewers, and I've seen this in my myself and my my friends and family, um, avoid the temptation to get distracted uh, by the the politics or the scandals in the church, and and um, people will instantly say, oh, you know, we've we've got to fight the heresy, we've got to fight the the you know the the homosodomy you know scandals, we've got to fight for the mass or whatever. Well, really what we're supposed to do first is our own duty according to our state in life. This is what all of the saints say, and this is what holy priests will say in the confessional when you want to take on great penances and you want to do all of these new practices. They want to make sure that you're doing your, your duty according to your state in life first. And, and remember that, that Satan is uh, so brilliant that he will encourage you to do uh, lesser goods than what God is calling you to do. And, mm-hmm. and I, I see a lot of this on social media and, and in families where people are outraged by, by politics, and rightly so. Uh, but proportionately speaking, you know, they have a duty to be you know, a mom or to be a dad or to be yeah. a provider. Yeah. And, and let's face it, raging at Joe Biden is not going to fix your marriage or save your, your children. I think for a lot of people, Jeff, and and maybe this is a hyperbole on my part, on my part, but I think uh, uh, politics in the United States is a much more featured, followed, and fevered religion uh, than the than the Roman Catholic faith. I mean, Absolutely. even within the traditional crowd, let's say, even to to, to our people. Absolutely. Uh, time, you, time and time and time again, I have tested the the theory. Uh, on on social media, where we can you know we can track things right. There are a lot of metrics available to track likes and clicks and shares and engagement. 
uh, mm -hmm. posts about Catholicism or virtue or family, marriage, parenting, uh, get very low engagement generally. Yep. Posts about politics or politics within the church get very high engagement. Uh, and yes, you're, you're, you're talking about practicing Catholics. You're talking about trads. Uh, it, it's a problem. Well, even this show, I guarantee you this show is going to have maybe 2,000 or 3,000 views in the end, maybe five. Um, and the people who watch it w want to be saints, and the people yep. who you know want to watch something about how you know communist uh you know biden is are, are not going to watch this yeah and um but and and the other thing too is like the, you know these these more spicy topics which i i cover the spicy topics too they get a lot of clicks and there's so much more of that out there than there is of stuff like this i mean yeah. and, and and there's a reason for that it's, it's a supply and demand thing i think Sure. And, and, and anger um, can make us feel good. We, mm -hmm. we lie to ourselves and say that it's righteous anger. Well, if you study the moral theologians, uh, most of us really, we're not very capable of righteous anger. It's, it's almost always sinful, at least venially so, because of our disordered passions, right? And, yeah. and, and so um, I, I've got a great friend who, who told me that uh, they just turned the TV off in their home and they haven't watched it you know, uh, in, in months and, and how great it's been for their marriage and their relationship. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just want to, as a starting point to kind of say, uh, we, we can't fix the situation in, in the white house. We can't fix the situation in the Vatican mm -hmm. except through prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. So, and we can do that without logging online. We can do that without, uh, you know, watching TV. So that, that's, that's what we mean by putting Christ first. And, and, a great way to start living this in practice is to begin each day with a holy hour. And, and you and mean this, a you mean a literal hour? Yes, a a sixty minute hour of prayer with a heavy emphasis on meditation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't make this up. Uh, if, if you all know Fulton Sheen, you've you've heard him, and of course Padre Pio talked about this. Modern saints uh, or, or or the venerable. Uh, but but really, I'm going back to Francis de Sales and and Liguori, mm -hmm. the the great moral doctor, uh, who said that, uh, and, and Saint Thomas, of course, the angelic doctor, talked about how you know meditation is the way of the saints, and that it's really impossible for a person to get to heaven without meditation, and and they have all recommended an, an hour, a daily holy hour, and my recommendation, uh, a practical one, as a as a, a father of, of fourteen, I, I still mm -hmm. have ten living at home, and. And uh, on the side, I try and support my family, you know, working. And and so it sounds like a lot to give. But if you think about it, uh, it's not very much to give back to our Lord. And right. the, the ROI on a holy hour is extraordinary in your life in terms of peace, patience, uh, growth and virtue. And I have even found that in a temporal way, our Lord kind of gives that hour back, whether it's through increased productivity uh, or uh, just those little things that, that kind of fall your way uh, to kind of show you that the grace that he uh, pours on people who, who put him first. Uh, so that's what I would strongly recommend. Walk us through, I, I don't want to get too intensely personal, Jeff, but yeah. I've, I've heard priests recommend the Holy Hour. I've heard the doctors and moral theologians recommend the Holy Hour. Here we have a father with 14 children. You've got 10 still at home. What do you do... Uh, for an hour by yourself? 
Yeah, so uh, I I start with uh, lighting a blessed candle, and uh, I bless myself with, with holy water. And uh, I like to follow the church's official prayer, the, the liturgical life of the church. It kind of keeps me grounded. Uh, I don't want to, you know, uh, flip open the Bible and, and play that Bible roulette where, you, you know, you put your finger down. Knowing that I'm praying along with the church uh, gives me a lot of, of comfort and, and confidence. And so mm-hmm. uh, I've got a... Um, a meditation set, actually, that I can uh, strongly recommend from Angelus Press, uh, a series of meditations written by Father Trodek uh, that follows the liturgical year, it, very much like uh, Gary Gou Lagrange's uh, set. I know you're, you've mm-hmm. uh, you've been promoting that heavily, but uh, it's a simpler, shorter version of that that allows you to read along with what the church is praying. And he has several wonderful meditations that he offers. And so I'll spend a few minutes reading that to, to get my mind in the right place. If I'm really struggling mentally to control my, my thoughts and distractions, uh, I will uh, you know, sing a Latin uh, hymn or a prayer, even mm-hmm. the, the Ave Maria. You could sing it out loud or you could sing it mentally. I find that, that really helps to kind of clear the mind. And then uh, if, if you're reading one of these meditations or if you've uh, done the bravery for that, that hour or some other especially liturgically minded, uh, keeping your head in the right, right time of the church. Now you, you close that and you, you quietly begin to meditate on that. I prefer the Ignatian method. So I'm, I'm actually creating in my mind through the use of my imagination, uh, guided by the intellect, uh, a series of, of images or a movie even in the mind from the readings of the day placing myself there in the life of Christ or life of the saint uh, to, to see it, to feel it, to hear it, to, to smell the environment that our Lord was in, to, to feel the, the wind or the dryness or the wet or the cold that he was experiencing, to place myself there with him so I can know him better, and then to listen. And, That's, uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just want to point out that I think a lot of Catholics— who just, you know, they want to be conservative, they want to be Catholic, they want to be Orthodox, they want to be traditional. They have a natural aversion to the word meditate because, it, you know, that kind of conjures up, you know, Eastern spiritualism and Buddhism and, um, and you know, uh, and, and karate and, uh, and, and yoga. Yeah. And obviously you have to avoid those things. But you're talking about the Ignatian form of meditation is what, what it is. Yeah. And... Um, have you have you done one of the Ignatian retreats? I'm I'm sure you have. Yeah, um, and, and it's it's life changing, you know, to to do this and to to embark upon it. It's it's difficult work, but mm. uh, let's put it in perspective. Uh, Saint Thomas and the others have said that there are nine levels of prayer. That first level of prayer is vocal prayer. So when we pray the Rosary and we say the words, or when we we pray at Mass and we say the, the words out loud. That's vocal prayer. That's, that's just the first level of prayer. Meditation is the second out of those nine. Mm-hmm. And meditation is when we begin to engage uh, our, our other faculties in, in a nonverbal way. And if you're saying the words to the rosary in your mind, that's still verbal prayer. Okay? It's not mental prayer. This is the distinction the saints have made. So, so when we start that process of meditation, and Ignatius is not the only one, although he's, he's got a, you know, a fantastic method, uh, one that I found to be very rich, uh, we're really only at the second stage of prayer. 
And 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 this is a must. And 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 those who are big fans of the rosary, remember, you're not just saying the words, you're supposed to be meditating on those mysteries. It's a bridge that Our Lady has given us simple people to move from vocal prayer into mental prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so that that really becomes the centerpiece of this holy hour. And, you know, sometimes you might find that you can go 10, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, advanced people can go longer in just mental prayer. Uh, others will have to come back every few minutes to look at some material to kind of keep them going and, and to recharge. Um, I've heard, uh, okay, so I, I've, uh, I've been to an Ignatian retreat. I agree with you. It was, uh, it was six days run by the SSPX, silent, a lot of work. It's, you know, he sounds like, and at, the, at that time, I think I only had four children, and, um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be so great to get away from the kids and have some time to think and read and pray and, and really kind of get reoriented. And I was, I was in between jobs at that point, too, so I, had no, I, I gave up my cell phone. It was, it was easy to do all that. That was some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, the exercises that Ignatius, <coughs> excuse me, wants to walk us through, and uh, and and that was only a week. The actual program is like thirty days. Sometimes some right. people do it for forty days. Yeah. Um. So this is not so the mental. This mental prayer is a lot of work. It, it's a lot of work. It's it's very difficult. Most of us uh, have, an, have an ill-disciplined mind. We're not accustomed to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so just the discipline of controlling our thoughts uh, is, is hard. Uh, the discipline of, uh, of making your mind quiet and, and finding a, uh, a, a gentle and effective way to do that uh, is, is a challenge. But, but that's what we're being called to. And quieting your mind allows... Christ to enter the, the mind and, and be there and guide your thoughts. And, and so consistent with that, I will usually uh, pray to my guardian angel to ask for help during that period of meditation uh, to be more effective, to be more humble, to be uh, more docile and, and open. And remember, mm-hmm. your, your guardian angel knows you better than, than you know yourself. Uh, but you also almost certainly, according to tradition, have a, a, a demon that Satan has assigned to frustrate the work of, of your mm-hmm. guardian angel to, to make you more rebellious. And if he's been with you your whole life, he knows you better than you know yourself as well. So we're really in a war, and we have to approach the mental prayer yeah. uh, with the same diligence that a soldier would preparing for battle. Um, and of course, Saint Ignatian was a soldier. Uh, what a famous priest! He's been on the show. Uh, Father Dan Nolan, USMC FSSP, uh, recommends a balanced diet for your for your daily holy hour. This is something I'm trying during Lent. Although I'm not I'm not uh, going all the way to 60 minutes like you are, Jeff. And my hat's off to you. And I'm you've got more than twice as many children as I do, so uh, there's no excuse for me. But he recommends a balanced diet of, you know, perhaps in your holy hour doing 20 minutes of spiritual reading, uh, 20 minutes of a, of a guided meditation like an Ignatian exercise or, you know, like a liturgical year or the office of the church. And then, um, you know, 20 minutes of your various kind of daily litanies that you, uh, that you do. You know, for us, we're, we're big holy face people. Uh, you might pray your rosary during that 20 minutes as well. 
Um, so if you break it up that way, now you, I'm assuming you do it early in the morning. You do it first thing when you're out of bed because otherwise it's just too chaotic. Yes. So most days for me, it's the first thing to do. Uh, otherwise, it, it just doesn't happen. And the challenges to effective meditation are going to multiply over the course of the day because your mind starts to become full of all of the concerns of, of that day. Uh, and then I find that uh, especially after about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, I start to get tired. And, and, and these higher faculties that we're talking about with meditation, they're going to be the first things to go. Uh, when you get tired, right? You're going to close your eyes and mm -hmm. what's going to happen? You're going to fall asleep. Your your mind is, is too weary. So uh, the, the saints recommend it being first in the day. Now, I'll, I'll admit that I don't do that every day. And in fact, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to have uh, adoration available to me three, four, sometimes five days a week. And so uh, I will make that a priority and I will schedule my day around that. So if I can go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for an hour uh, in the middle of the day, then I will make that the priority over, you know, first thing in the morning. Uh, okay. you know, but, but for people who want to, uh, you know, tackle this, uh, it, it's about putting Christ first. And, and that starts with prayer, with, with the aim towards mental prayer. And if, if you start with five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, make that your habit and, and just treat it like anything else, one, one little step at a time and, and grow to that, that hour mark. I just want to point out that um, we're doing a deliberate podcast about strengthening your marriage. And the very first thing that you wanted to draw people's attention to Jeff was an hour with our Lord in the morning. Yes, because what we're talking about here is, is not merely a, a human endeavor. And let's be honest, we don't have as, as sinful men, the ability to be uh, the husbands to our wives that we need to be. We can't do that on our own. Uh, and we can't be the fathers to our children that we're called to be on our own. So even though we're kind of uh, rugged American individualist and, and we like to be self-reliant and all that sort of thing, uh, it, it's an impossible task. We cannot reach the goal on our own. And and so uh, if we care for our own souls, if if we care for the souls of the people we're responsible for, starting first with our our wives, then then this is a this is a must do. It's, it's more important than eating breakfast. It's more important than going to the gym in the morning. Uh, this, this prayer life is the foundation for your day. And, you know, I have, I've found that our Lord will reward you, uh, no matter else, what else you've done in your life, whatever else you've screwed up or mistakes you've made, that our Lord will reward you and, and protect you and guide you and support you uh, as long as it's consistent with his will, of course, if you're giving him the first fruits of your life. And that starts first thing in the morning. We are going to take questions from the audience, and I'm already getting a lot of them, and I see them. So don't worry, I'm going to get to them. But um, one that relates to this, and in particular the rosary, Jeff, the question is uh, from Julian. She uh, she asks, does praying, does praying all three sets of the mysteries, all 15 mysteries, is that something that you would recommend doing in the morning, or is that something you save for uh, the family? Does your whole family pray all 15, or, or are you five mysteries uh, family, and maybe you do the other 10, or, or do you just, you just kind of pray five of the mysteries every day? Yeah, so certainly the goal is, is to have the full rosary every day. 
but our family practice is just to say that uh, what Our Lady called the Turca, the, the Portuguese rite for a third, so the five mysteries, you know, that's 20, 25 minutes. Uh, we tack some additional prayers on there, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, for other uh, special intentions. And, and our family does that together. In fact, we do it at 1130. And, and during the day, we're homeschoolers. Uh, I work from home almost all the time. And so uh, one of the reasons we do it at that time is it breaks up the day. So the kids have been focused all morning on school and, and jobs and so forth. They're about to break for lunch. It's a good time for me to take a break from work. So we stop at 1130. We pray. We finish with the Angelus. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the centerpiece of the family prayer life for the day. Now, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting time. I've never heard someone say that they do 1130 rosary and then roll right into the Angelus and then kind of move on. I, that's brilliant. Well, you know, I grew up, my family saying the rosary in the evening after dinner. Sure. And and it and a lot of families do that. And, it, and of course, it has a way of kind of slowing the evening down and preparing people for a more quiet period of the night, which is all wonderful. Here's what we found with, with a house full of still, I've got 10 kids at home. The youngest is two. Uh, and I've got, you know, a, a 20-something in college who's still at home. Uh, there's t- so much going on. It, it's a disruption mm-hmm. uh, to the normal flow of events. Half the kids end up asleep at the end of the rosary. Now they can't do their after dinner jobs. They, they can't get ready for bed properly, it, you know, and, and now we're putting that rosary kind of more towards the evening where babies are cranky, mom and dad are tired. It, you know, now I'm sure there are much holier families that have made that work. But for us as homeschoolers, doing it in the middle of the day brings us all back together. Everybody's there unless they have a legitimate reason to be gone. Uh, we pray together and uh, we do a short reading on the, whatever saint is commemorated that day. Uh, and finish with the angels. It works great for us. One other question, just on the holy hour, before we uh, move to the uh, the second point here of the three uh, keys to strengthening the marriage. Uh, Marta noted this, and and I think I did a bad job on the setup. So thank you for noting this, Marta. She says, "I feel like this applies to me too, mom slash wife." We're not talking about just men here, right? Every oh, yeah. adult needs to be doing the holy hour. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, and. And frankly, you know, the saints have talked about uh, how women respond so much better to prayer generally. I'm not saying this very well, but it, it begins with their characterization of a uh, characterization of the soul as as feminine. Uh, and and women uh, are, are generally speaking, naturally more disposed to prayer. And so they have more to gain and to grow with uh, than men. I would say that's just a personal anecdote. Uh, although I, I have, with, with 182 years of parenting experience now across my 14 children, I have noted that that women, uh, females, are more like uh, a fine flower or a rose uh, in, in the degree of beauty that they have the potential for. And, you know, boys, let's face it, kind of more like weeds. You know, so <laughs> you can run over that weed, you can knock it down, it's going to grow back mo- yeah. for the most part, right? Yeah. But but women require a greater degree of delicacy and care, uh, you know, and I, I talk about, you know, fertilizing and, and, and watering and being gentle with. That's my experience with and I got a mom and I've got a, a sister and I've got a wife and I've got daughters and, and I've watched and thought about this a lot, read a lot of great men. So I think the, the woman who's a, a mom, a stay at home mom, the the opportunity for her to rapidly grow in virtue and find a peace and perseverance and strength and and uh, 
you know, the, the courage to make those difficult decisions in her life. Hey, I'm going to spend a few minutes on Facebook or I'm going to read to my kid. Nothing wrong with checking Facebook and having girlfriends on Facebook, right? But God is calling us maybe to, to a higher good. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so absolutely, this is this is for for women as well. Any adult Catholic, does that answer the question? I think so. And you know, it's a perfect segue into part two because you talked about the feminine soul really is more uh, ordered to piety yeah. than than the male soul. And uh, I think all, all of the saints confirm that. But speaking of the ladies, you say put your spouse above all other temporal issues. That's a bold statement, Jeff. Yeah, well, if you got married, you entered into a covenant uh, with God and this spouse, and you're responsible for them. And it goes both ways, of course. But, you know, any other temporal duties that you have, including the duties to your children, they come second. Now, of course, you're, you're always responsible for your own soul first. But entering into that covenant, that sacrament of, of matrimony, you know, remember, there isn't really a sacrament of patrimony, right? So the sacrament that I have tied myself up with uh, this woman uh, and God, uh, you know, it's a reflection of the Trinity. And and so it has that very high grave obligation. And so this is what uh, husbands and wives both need to be thinking about. Am I living my life in such a way that it would be an obvious reflection that my marriage is the most important thing, second to my own soul. Mm-hmm. I have found, even among practicing Catholics, devout Catholics, trads, I have, I have found that that's generally not the case, that the men are putting their work uh, or their hobbies or their leisure activities before their wife, and women are doing the same thing. Let's face it, they're sinners too. Uh, and they're putting their children before their husband, or mm-hmm. they're putting their, their mm-hmm. girlfriends, or or even their domestic duties. You know, let's tackle that. The the, the good, virtuous wife and mother. Uh, she's she's maybe she's running around. She's making dinner. She's dealing with babies. She's doing laundry. You know, all of these things. These are all goods, mm-hmm. but they really are secondary to her husband. That doesn't mean she neglects them. Of course. Uh, it can be a very challenging thing to figure out where are my priorities? What do I do? But but even thinking about that and praying about it and asking yourself that question puts you on the right path to, to finding the answer. And my guess is, uh, and, and I'm a guy who likes an orderly house, uh, we've got a Google sheet full of, of daily job chores and and, and all of that. Uh, I, I want to see the laundry done. I like to have a clean home. But guess what? If, if my wife is taking care of me and, and making me feel like she loves me and respects me and honors me, uh, I'm probably that, not, that goes a long way. I'm, right? probably, I'm not probably not going to care too much if there's laundry <laughs> piled in the corner. Right. And and, yeah, and you I wanna, said, OK, you've said two things that I think are pretty revolutionary, even for trads. OK, uh, because uh, and, and I'd like to get to them both, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. The first thing, just go, just going chronologically from what you said. To place your wife first, to place her ahead of all of your other hobbies and all of your other things. Now, I've noticed, Jeff, that there is that that one of the, I guess, ugly stepchildren of modernism is feminism, and feminism has crept into every aspect of our culture and every aspect of our lives. And even in the traditional movement, I think most, uh, well, maybe not most, but a lot of women are feminists. 
and they have feminist tendencies because women have the curse of Eve. They have yep. a need to control. They have a need to dominate. This is something that is a, there's a defect that most women have to overcome. You can thank Eve for it, not me. I'm not bashing women. Um, and I've even had priests who come over for dinner or lunch and say, uh, you know, men, you've 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 got to help. You got to become your your wife's helpers, and you got to change diapers, and you got to. I you're not you're not. You're making a distinction here. You're not a feminist. You're not saying that you know she needs to lead the house and and that's and putting her first means putting her in charge. Um, can you make that distinction for us? Yeah, sure. So when my when I was first getting married, uh, my wife and I uh, happened to be high school sweethearts, and my my parents knew my wife well, and they were supportive of of the marriage. But right before I was married, my my dad said. Uh, if you always take care of her and put her first and she always takes care of you and, and puts you first, then you're going to have a successful marriage. And it, it took me a long time before I understood those words properly. But, uh, you know, when when you embrace a servant oriented leadership uh, and, and, and both are doing this right. The husband has a certain kind of leadership, uh, an office that he, he has and, and the wife does as well. Uh, if you're looking out and caring for one another, it, it won't mean that things are perfect and it won't fix overnight a, a, a badly strained marriage, but it will go a very long way towards helping. And uh, I've changed plenty of diapers and uh, I've done laundry and, and, you know, worked in the kitchen and done all of the rest of it. But we do have a traditional marriage, so there's there's a more traditional ordering of of responsibilities. Uh, but as an example for that, we we try a very conscious approach to our marriage, a very conscious approach to the the parenting, where we're thinking about these things and thinking what's right and what's proper, not just according to male female, but according to disposition. And so one of the ways I would share that that manifests itself when properly understood is uh, as homeschoolers, I work with the teenagers and my wife works with the preteens. Why? Well, because I like teenagers. They, they argue and they talk and they ask great questions. And, and, and that's it's a good fit for me. Um, I'm not so great with kids who, you know, cry and, and still mess their diapers up and, you know, can't have a logical conversation, but my wife is really fantastic with them. She can tolerate that all day long. And so just a simple division of, of duties, there is no male or female in that uh, approaching it. Similarly, there are household duties that she doesn't mind doing all day long, but they would drive me crazy. Uh, so this is another reason why it's important that you're equally yoked. And so I'm, I'm very much opposed to mixed marriages and I know we, that could give us in a whole different direction. I did marry a Protestant, but she was she was open to the faith and had a deep love of God and the truth. She eventually converted. Um, but you add that layer of challenges on top of a sinful man and a sinful woman and the influences of feminism on both parties, uh, it can become a disaster pretty quickly. I think you're muted, Mike. I'm muted. Sorry. Uh, second thing I want to zero in on, and I know you have a couple other things that you want to say within this category, so we won't forget them, but you said that a woman should place her husband ahead of the children. Now, this is something that I think a lot of ladies 
are guilty of because, you know, look, they have a strong maternal instinct. They've got these little kids. They're super needy. You know, um, it seems like a good thing to, you know, to be constantly doting on the children. Dad can take care of himself. He's a grown man. I mean, come on. Uh, what does he actually need? But but that that does represent a disorder within the family. And it uh, unfortunately, it, it also leads to discontentment not only with uh, with the husband and, and wife's relationship, but it also um, it also teaches the children about you know kind of who's in charge, who's in charge of their life, and whether or not the man is really kind of like you know the the most important person in the family or not. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's not a popular statement, but it's it's a true one. And when the the wife and mother puts those children before her husband, she's 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 making a statement to everyone involved about where her priorities are. Now, in a flippant way, I think we can sum this up by saying to to that wife, uh, "Hey, these kids are going to leave you one day. They're going to leave you, and and most of them will will choose a, a, another woman to be first in their life." Or they'll, if they're girls, they'll choose another man to become first in their life. That's kind of a reflection of, of how this works, right? We all know that. They're going to grow up and leave the home. But your husband, hopefully, will still be there. And he should still be first in your life. Now, on a deeper level, uh, you've already alluded to, to the truth here, that those children become properly formed when they see a well-functioning marriage, when they see a, a husband who loves his wife and provides for her, when they see a, 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 a mom that loves her husband and respects him and, and supports him. So even in that most basic way, that first thing provides the, the proper domestic environment in which children are going to be raised. If the husband and wife are taking care of one another— uh, they're already taking good care of the children. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about neglecting the authentic needs of of children. Of course not. Uh, you know, that's where people go. I've been around, you know, on social media with this. We're, we're not talking about that. We're We're talking about, again, in a conscious way, every day, thinking about your marriage, mm-hmm. thinking about the, the family, thinking about one another. And, and sometimes that will mean taking care of the children. So uh, I, I try to be aware of what's going on in the house and aware of my wife's needs and saying, gosh, maybe I need to give her the night off. And, and she, she goes to the bedroom and she locks the door and she turns on a, a, a girl show or she, she reads or whatever. And she just gets that time by herself. So, so here I am. I'm, am I putting the children first? No, I'm putting her first. Uh, mm-hmm. By taking care of the children, giving her that time off. Uh, so uh, I don't want to make it all about myself, but trying to share a simple example of of how the husband and wife owe this duty to one another. After all, when we marry, we become one flesh. So if if you're not putting your spouse first, you're not you're not serving either party uh, mm-hmm. as God has called us to. Right. And we know too, and uh, this is where I'm going to get the thumbs down and stuff uh, from from the the feminists and whatnot. But we know that uh, there's a hierarchy in heaven. There's a hierarchy in hell. There's a hierarchy on earth. We don't like to hear that as Americans or or Westerns in an egalitarian society. But you know there has to be a hierarchy within the family, within the household, 
And that that lesson can only be instilled to the extent that you know that that the spouses respect each other, but also that the woman teaches the children to respect their father and regard him as I think Saint Augustine says, as as the represent the direct representative of God in the household. Yeah, I mean that's a big bird. And I know I know a bunch of guys. I know the guys that like to throw that around and abuse that and act macho. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I run my family. And and you know those guys too. We we've we probably have both smoked cigars with very similar characters. Oh yeah. Who 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 loved it. That's not with that what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the machismo factor, but I am talking about the legitimate I mean, look, yes, if you ask an exorcist, I have absolute authority over this house. And if I let a demon in to my house, it's my fault. It's not it's not my daughter's fault for, or, or my wife's fault. It's my fault. And I have the authority to, to spiritually protect this house. The demons re- respect the hierarchy. Why, why can't the women and the children? Absolutely. And you, you referenced uh, something very interesting. The same exorcist will tell you that when uh, sin enters through the head of the household, the consequences are more grave uh, to the household, the, the, the wife and the, the children. Uh, and and so whether that manifests itself through pornography or or other grave sins, uh, if it enters into the the husband in that way, then then the consequences are 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 more severe. Um, so yeah, we we all know the the controversial phrase, which really shouldn't be controversial, but but uh, you know let let's face it, if if the husband is properly leading his his family then yes, he is uh, the head of the household. He's in, in charge. But that also means that he exercises prudence and discretion with, with how that manifests itself. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course, we, we know that the example for that is our Lord. So, uh, you know, h- how would our Lord handle any given situation? Well, we have a lot of examples. We watched him in action. And men mastering the art of being gentle but firm uh, and i'm a long way from that i'm i'm not lecturing but that is the goal our, our lord would have been gentle but but firm and we can see that in how he he dealt with situations uh and and of course we also have the great example that if if the man is the king uh then that means he's married to a queen and uh, how should a queen be treated Right. Even even by her her kingly husband, a queen is going to be treated with great grace and gentleness and patience and forbearing and all of those other other virtues. So uh, that that's really the way it should look. That's what we're we're called to. You put a couple other things on this list here that um, <laughs> that are just very practical things. Have a weekly date night. Great idea. Uh, we try to do that, although ours ends up being like once every other week. Uh, if that, we need to get better about that. Yep. But the other thing that you said is to have a uh, a daily marriage meeting. What is a daily marriage meeting, Jeff? Yeah, so this is kind of a revolutionary thought. But, uh, you know, if if we approach our marriage with the same zeal and organization and discipline that we would our, our business affairs or our homeschooling uh-huh. or uh, the organization of anything that matters to us, then we would, we would have meetings, right? And we would, we would plan and we would talk about things and we would 
sit around the table and ask questions and and then schedule and uh, and delegate and so forth so a, a marriage meeting and in the case of a of a big family like mine with a lot of things going on a, a daily marriage meeting 5 days a week it's not in any way uh, overdoing it, right? There's so many things to talk about: the schedules, the doctor's appointments, the the the, the deadlines, and the duties, and the who's going to do what, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, this is this is a five minute or a fifteen minute or a thirty minute meeting uh, where we talk about the business of the family. And if there's not a lot of business to talk about, maybe uh, maybe the wife has some things that she wants to share with her husband. And so that time has been created and it's there on the schedule, respected by both people, so that these things don't get pushed off. They wow. don't get so they, what what time of day do you do your, your daily uh marriage meeting? Yeah, so our our marriage meeting has been at four fifteen in the afternoon. Uh, we're rethinking that. We think it's a little bit too late. By that point we're both a little a little run down, a little tired. We haven't gotten our third wind yet for the for the day, you know. So we're, we're looking at moving that up a little bit. Again, I work from home, so that gives us some flexibility. But I tell you, if I was driving to an office in Nashville every day, yeah. uh, I would make it a Zoom meeting. And my wife would be on my schedule uh, with the same priority and, and courtesy as anybody else in my life just to dial in on a Zoom meeting and say, hey, hon, it's, you know, it's noon. And, you know, before we take a lunch break, let's talk about whatever we need to talk about today. And if she doesn't have anything to talk about in terms of the business of the family, I would say, well, how is the day going? How do you feel today? What are the, what are the problems you're facing? Or what can I do to, to help make your day easier? Uh, it, sometimes it can feel a little formal to have a marriage meeting. But again, we, we, we give the attention to the things that, that matter to us. And if our marriage matters, why don't we treat it with the same kind of discipline as we do almost anything else in our life? You've probably got a schedule for your baseball team, for your, you know, your, your everything in your life. There are deadlines and there are meetings. There's preparation. Do that for your marriage. Maybe you start off with once a week. Maybe it's, it's Sunday afternoon and you're planning the rest of the week and you're looking mm-hmm. at everything and you're talking about everything. Uh, maybe it needs to be more often as, as ours does. Oh, that one's getting some questions, which I'll, I'll save till the end uh, okay. because they're, they're related. But that, that one is, is definitely getting some questions. All right. All right. Uh, the third of three points. We started this podcast, Jeff Kassman, near Nashville, uh, joining us live for Living the Faith. Um, and we're talking about marriage. And the first half of the podcast was how bad things are. It's tough to stay married. There's a lot of headwinds. The world is oriented against marriage. You've given two of the three things that you wanted to uh, put forward as as ways to strengthen the Catholic marriage. The third that you uh, are, are proposing here is to live a life of gratitude. And this, I got to be honest, this also, just like the first one, sounds like kind of like a duh, right? Yeah, it, it sounds so basic that you would uh, just kind of ignore it and dismiss it, but it's it's pretty profound. Uh, first of all, we all love people who are grateful. Uh, it, it makes us feel good to be with grateful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the proper disposition in our relationship towards God. And most of us have a lot of work to do in that regard. Um, we can look around us, we can look at ourselves and we can see that 
society is is full of people. The church is full of people. Your family might even be full of people who are not grateful for what they have, uh, for what they've been given. Some people may even have an entitlement attitude. Uh, I deserve fill in the blank. Um, we have a lot of people in the world who are, are angry. There, there might be people listening to this, this talk tonight who are, if they admit it deep down, they're, they're angry. They're angry maybe with their spouse. They're mm-hmm. angry with their parents. They're angry at the world. They're angry with their adult children. Uh, that's just poison, right? It, it's, it's poison that you, you give yourself and uh, doses every day. We, we don't want to be like those people. And when we imagine ourselves before our God, we could spend eternity saying what we're grateful for if we were properly disposed, right? Just, just the chance at salvation should, should give birth to uh, a litany of, of, of gratitude from, from us towards God. So with that in mind, uh, since our relationship with our spouses should in some way be modeled on our authentic love and gratitude towards God, mm. uh, exercising radical gratitude in our life, uh, becoming a person of, of gratitude and becoming a model of that uh, is vital. And a, a way I would suggest to start to uh, in- inculcate this virtue, to start to foster the virtue in your own life, is to begin and end each day with uh, a, a reflection of gratitude. And, and I call it radical gratitude. And so uh, I start my morning and, and I maybe I give thanks for that soft bed that I'm sleeping on. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't have one of those $5,000 beds, but I do have one of those uh, uh, mattresses you can get off Amazon that's, you know, the, it's the memory foam. Gosh, that thing is comfortable. You know, and and to lie down in that at the end of the night. And if you travel, we've all traveled. You stay in a hotel or motel or just a friend's place and you sleep on a bed. If you've got a nice one, you you know it. Well, something as simple as a a warm bed to sleep in or Mm -hmm. or being grateful for hot water. Our our Lord did not have hot water. Yeah. Uh, Being grateful for going to bed at night and and not fearing for your personal safety. That puts you in the one percent of of all people who've ever. So. Oh, sure. Uh, And even the the great people in in the America's favorite southern neighbor, Texas. I mean, they've just been through, you know, the ringer and they didn't have hot water and they didn't have food security and they didn't have transportation or freedom of movement. I mean, these are all things that we all take for granted until we don't have them anymore. <laughs> and and that's a that's a perfect example and, and and so it's easy for us to to look at them and say, "Oh, wow, I'm grateful." All right? It's hard when you're in that situation to say, "Lord, I'm grateful for a lifetime that I've always had easy access to hot drinkable water." Mm-hmm. So, so radical gratitude, great way to start off the morning by, by thinking those things. I'm grateful for hot coffee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to end the day with that as well. So, uh, uh, another thing that, that all of the moral theologians, great uh, priests will tell you is, uh, end the day with an examination of conscience. And, and we know how that works, whether it's reading off the list of questions that you're asking yourself in terms of structured around the sacraments or the commandments, or, or whether you're just reflecting on the day mentally, and that the Ignatian examination uh, kind of does that, go through the day, evaluate hour by hour uh, w- what you did that you 
you erred or you need to improve. But if you begin that examination with a brief examination of gratitude for the day and saying uh, to yourself, what do I have to be grateful for today? Whether it's, it's temporal material, like the examples I gave earlier, or the higher level of gratitude of all of the ways in which God worked in my life, on my life, in my soul today, uh, that helps foster that gratitude, most importantly towards God. But secondly, if, if we're really thinking about it, towards our spouse. And if you're growing in gratitude towards God, you're going to go grow in gratitude towards your spouse. But if you're yeah. actually thinking about this, reflecting on it, working on it, you might find that time where as a husband you say, you know, gosh, my, my wife works hard and I don't thank her enough. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm grateful internally. This is one that's been a big struggle for me. I'll oftentimes think how, how wonderful she is or, or how, how good she looks or how, how uh, hard she works or the sacrifices that she makes. But then I don't say it. Uh, I, I would offer that it is a, a growth in gratitude to, to publicly manifest that and to tell her. And guess what? Most women, they, they like to hear. Yeah, it turns out that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good strategy for uh, keeping, keeping her happy. Simple, it reminds me simple. actually of the, uh, you know, the, the, it's kind of a trite saying that uh, I think especially you hear it at Novus Ordo Land a lot, you know, that like love is a decision and all this stuff. But there's some truth to that. I mean, love is not just a spontaneous emotion. It's not merely the, the physical attraction that you have for your wife. Right. Um, lo- love is uh, charity is to will her good. It is an act of the intellect and the will. It's a positive decision that you have to make. And thinking of ways in which you're grateful for her is a, is an easy way to grow in love for her. Yes, and and, it, and if we are to love our brother by wanting for our brother what we would desire for ourselves, properly ordered, then how much more relevant is it that we would want that for our spouse? And so... Mm-hmm. Thinking in that way with with a gratitude motivated by authentic love um, will go a long way. It, it can heal a marriage. It can it can fix a lot of of problems. Uh, I have seen authentic miracles, just instantaneous conversion of of hardened hearts and marriages that have been, you know, destroyed by by the worst things. When a person says. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, and you were right, or I, you know, I did bad things to you, or I let you down, whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, because because grace can fill up that hole and and heal it, and mm-hmm. and then build something on it. And we can look at the scripture for those examples, right, with the prodigal son, or with with other things, our Lord with uh, with the um, the prostitute. So. So a, a life of gratitude, if you if you are embracing these these three principles uh, and you, you cap that with a life of gratitude, which you can start just a little bit every day, you're going to see some wonderful things. You even suggested writing it down in a journal, a, a journal about gratitude. Um, that's I mean, that's something that it's good. You know, this leads to one of the a lot of the themes of questions, major themes that people have had on the live stream, which is, okay, Jeff, you start with a daily holy hour. You got the Angelus and your marriage meeting. You're praying the full rosary every day. You're, you're meeting at 415. You know, you're, uh, now, you're, now you're talking about writing down everything you're thankful for. Uh, you're doing your daily examinations of conscience and gratitude. Do you have a job? 
Yeah, I, I'm a full time dad, of course, um, and, and husband. But sure. So I, I'm working uh, in, in a week. I'll get 50 hours in usually uh, working. Um, I, I make a lot of other sacrifices. You know, I, I don't I don't go to the bars anymore to, to hang out with with buddies and drink. Um, you know, I, I, I don't go to a lot of sporting events. You know, there's not a lot of uh, of leisure outside the house because uh, let's face it, every decision I make also involves a decision uh, to say no to to everything else. So there's a lost opportunity cost uh, that's pretty high. In my case, I've still got 10 kids at home. Um, but yes, uh, and these things don't have to take a lot of time. So that examination of conscience and writing down a few things that you're grateful for it can take five minutes. Sure. Uh, and and writing them down, or I'll admit, I use a Google Doc. I got my phone there. Uh, I'll, I'll make a few notes. It, it sears it into your mind. It 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 burns it in there in a way that just thinking about it doesn't. And the other yeah. thing that's beautiful about this is if you have that evening where maybe you're tired or you're in a bad mood or or God forbid you're going to bed angry with your spouse and you open that journal of gratitude up and you scroll back a little bit, you're going to be reminded in a flash about all that you have to be grateful for. So uh, it, it's a great tool for self-governance as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I think they say writing something down is is like reading it 12 times. The tie-in yeah. I wanted to make to this idea of writing down things that you're grateful for and keeping a log of it over time is uh, is a tie-in to a concept of cult that used to be part of Catholic culture in all the great families in Europe, the family book. Um, and in the family book, you it's it's a it's a it's literally a book, and it's passed down from father to oldest son, and it is the history of the family. It is exhortations from from one generation to the successive generation, and um, you know these exhortations are uh, so important. This is the lessons that you've learned in your life that you can transmit to subsequent and future generations, all in the quest of making sure that your family maintains the Catholic faith for a thousand years, not just one generation or two generations, and, um, and taking notes uh, throughout your life of your struggles and your, and your hardships and, and just journaling in general is a very good preparation for writing your your letter, because you get one shot. You write your letter, you give the book to your son, that's it. You know, it's not like it's not like you're saying goodbye forever, but you know, that's the letter that you're gonna be remembered for eleven generations from now, and God willing, eleven faithful generations from now. So I think I think there's definitely a tie in into writing down uh things that you're grateful for to just overall preparation for um, you know, the transmission of the family book. Yeah. I love it. And, and uh, I, I suggest that, you know, for somebody listening, may, maybe uh, maybe this all sounds like it's a lot to do. Well, we'll start start with something. Pick, pick something and, and do it and uh, and work your way up. But if if I can do it uh, and, and believe me, I'm 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 no great Catholic. I'm, I'm a sinner like like everybody else. And and but if I can do it, if I can make the time and and learn to say no to to self, then then you can too, and and your guardian angel will help you. And when you ask for uh, divine help for these kinds of things, Lord, help me grow in virtue so that I can pray more. Help me grow in gratitude towards uh, you and towards my spouse. Help me to make time for prayer. 
Those are the kinds of, of prayers that are guaranteed to be answered. Amen. That sounds um, that sounds pretty true. All right, we're going to take a couple of questions from the live audience just as we wrap up uh, the show here. I did ask the first burning question that people have is, how do you make time? Do you have a job? Um, another question that folks have had for you, Jeff, um, somebody asks, okay, I make 15 bucks an hour. I don't really have prospects of getting a raise right now. How much do I need to make to have a family with 10 kids? I mean, how, you know, what, what's, what's your minimum that you think, um, am I ready for marriage? Yeah, that's, that's tough. I, I can't give a firm number in terms of what's, you know, what's the minimum to make before you can support a family, the cost of living in a variety of places and your standard of living, uh, will, will drive those things. I, I know people who, uh, don't have smartphones, don't have uh, cable and internet. They don't drive new cars. They don't take vacations. You know, um, they've made a lot of decisions to keep their costs down, and they can live. You know, for for half of what many other families would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's hard to get into uh, absolute numbers. Fifteen dollars an hour sounds to me like it's going to be a, a very tough lifestyle to support even one person, let mm-hmm. alone a second person. So I encourage young men. Uh, to develop skills that are going to allow them to earn more money, not just now, but in the future, uh, to support a family. If if you can't support yourself, and $15 an hour is going to be tough just to support yourself, uh, it's going to be tough to support a wife, let alone uh, children. And and so you're already going into a marriage, which, A, marriage is, is difficult. I would argue that it's the most difficult thing that people will ever confront in their their lives. When little babies are born, they're they're beautiful and they're innocent, and it, it's easy, especially for moms, to kind of focus on that baby. Yeah, uh, be, because they have a, unconditional love and they're beautiful. And they never do anything wrong, even when they do something wrong. It's you know, well, he can't help himself, right? Yeah. So to go into a marriage already with financial pressure just to exist that that's tough. So make all the sacrifices necessary to develop the skills where you can solve more problems for more people, and, and that's how you earn more money. Um, question from Julian, and this is about prayer. And this is a really practical question. She says, quote, When I pray the rosary, I try to look at a Catholic prayer book for the prayers, even though I already have memorized them in order to avoid being distracted in prayer. Uh, is this a good practice? Can you give any other advice? Sure. Uh, looking at those holy uh, images is, is a fantastic method. And in fact, many people who meditate will start with that and then they'll close their eyes and, and start to build that movie in the mind around what's happening there. So if you find that, that looking at an image starts to become stale, uh, which means your mind is going to wander more, the distractions are going to grow, uh, then start to look at the image from a different perspective, from the side or from a, a longer distance or from overhead. Yeah. Uh, s- start to uh, ask yourself the questions as you've placed yourself in that, in that scene. What does it smell like? Uh, yeah. What do I hear? You know, if, if, you're, if you place yourself at the foot of the cross, uh, what is it that you hear? Do you hear our Lord uh, wheezing as he breathes? Do you hear the, the droplets of his blood uh, splashing on the ground? Uh, you, do you hear the taunts of the, of the crowd? Um, you know, you can utilize all of your senses in that meditation to more thoroughly immerse yourself in the situation. 
Uh, and, and you've got a very rich and powerful mind. Pray to your guardian angel to help guide you towards uh, truth and, and to help you to uh, peel back the layers of what's happening there to understand it, not as a flat image that you're looking at, but as, as a reality that happened. And remember, there's something extraordinary happening there where, where that moment starts to transcend time. Uh, we know that's happening because we're representing that. The priest is representing that at the altar. So there, there's a, uh, it's certainly very mystical, but there's like a rupture in in time where we can actually be present uh, at that moment. Our Lord is begging you to be present there, mm-hmm. and and you can do that at every moment in His life by by placing yourself there. I hope that helps. Final question uh, from Quoke, and others have asked the same question. Jeff, do you have any hobbies? <laughs> uh, I read a lot. Um, I, I, I love to read and I love to learn. I, I gave up uh, golf a long time ago when my sixth child was born. I, I found I just I didn't have the time for it. Um, so I read a lot. I play tennis with my kids occasionally. Uh, we like to do some outdoor things. We've got uh, rabbits that we raise. We've got chickens and, and quail. And so I'm involved in, in all of that work with, with the kids mm-hmm. and learning and studying and trying to do it better. Uh, I've also got some of my kids gardening with me. We've done aquaponics, which involves uh, fish uh, and, and recirculating that water for vegetables. And we've done hydroponics and, and growing in a greenhouse. Uh, but most of my uh, unpaid activities revolve around uh, church and family. So we sing in the scola, and uh, the, all the boys serve, of course. And uh, when it's not Lent, I'll you know I'll enjoy a, a good a good wine and maybe smoke a cigar and uh, cook with the kids and that sort of thing. Not very exciting. <laughs> well, it's it's terribly exciting if you are in the business of maintaining the order sanctity of families. We know. Jeff Kassman joining us from Nashville uh, for one of the rare live segments of Living the Faith. We know that the family is the bedrock of society. It is under attack. You've given us three points uh, to meditate on. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. And, um, man, we got to do this again. All right. Well, that's it for Living the Faith. I need you to subscribe and hit the Living like the button. Faith podcast. Take care, guys. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com. Five seconds.